Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Well, praise God. Let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank God for his holy written word. Praise God. We can navigate through life because he has given us his word. Amen. This morning, our subject will be freedom's boundaries. Freedom's boundaries. And tomorrow, of course, I would assume that most people throughout this nation, unless you have to work, will be celebrating one of America's greatest things called freedom. Are you glad that you are free and that you have independence? What's freedom really mean? It means you have the power to choose what you're going to speak, what you're going to say, what you're going to, how you're going to act, what you're going to do. You can navigate through life without really any hindrance. No one putting any restraints on you. Aren't you glad to live in that kind of a country? Unlike some other countries where right now you can't even get food without going through government, hoops and all that. But we live in a free land. Amen. Well, even though we live in a free land and even though freedom is a wonderful, wonderful blessing, how many of you know that freedom needs boundaries? Because without boundaries, freedom could be abused and they become what? Anarchy. Anarchy. Which means you govern yourself. You're a law unto yourself. You live the way you want to live, do what you want to do, etc., etc. Well, that's not a good idea, is it? Because there are a lot of people that are out there that do all kind of crazy things, even though we have boundaries in our country, in our nation, in our states, throughout the world. Freedom needs boundaries. But the big question this morning is, who is qualified to establish the boundaries? Who can write the laws? Who? Who's qualified? Well, I kind of think only our creator. What about you? In the book of Genesis chapter 2, I believe our creator is the only one who is qualified to establish boundaries for man's existence. That's it. Let's read the verse. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden that thou mayest freely eat. Notice there's freedom. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Would you call that freedom with boundaries? Mm -hmm. Right. And why did God establish the boundary? Because he knew what Lucifer did. 
I'm sure Lucifer had his boundaries. He stepped beyond the boundaries. And when he did, you know what happened. He fell. Well, when God made man in his image as likeness, what did he do? He established boundaries for his existence. And he said, because evil exists, be certain that you freely enjoy everything in this beautiful place. Except one thing I set aside that you do not touch, lest ye die. And of course, we know the story, don't we? So what happens was they stepped beyond the boundaries. And what took place? The fall of man. And upheaval comes to every realm of life. Spiritually, man separated from God. Right? The animal kingdom, vegetable kingdom, etc. Everything is affected by the decision that man made to step beyond the boundaries that God established for his life. And that's why there's evil in the world. That's why there's sin, sickness, disease, and all the anguishes of the world. And that's why we die. All because of man stepping beyond the boundaries that God established for his being and his existence. Of course, then we come and look, look in uh, Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1, and now we come to the Israelites, a nation that God, of course, brought from the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And where are they? They're in Egypt, and they're in slavery in Egypt. And the time has come that they're mourning and crying out to God for deliverance from their slavery. And what happens? God raises up a man by the name of Moses, and this is what he says. And the Lord spake to Moses, go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may satisfy their sinful nature and desires. Oh. <laughs> Let my people go that they may serve themselves and live in anarchy and be alone to themselves and do what they want to do and live the way they want to live. All right, well, let's read it again. Let my people go that they may serve me. Isn't that what God said? Would you call that freedom with boundaries? I would. He brought them out. He delivered them. So now he's not just their creator. He's now their liberator. So the creator has a right to govern. And the liberator has a right to govern. Because without the creator or the liberator, you're in bondage and slavery. Would you rather stay in bondage and slavery? Or would you rather have liberty to choose right? And do right things. To serve God. Okay. Well what about us? We're living in the New Testament. I know that. I'm getting there. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. In the New Living Translation of the Bible. For you have been called to live in freedom. And someone said hallelujah. My brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom. To satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Peter said we should never use our freedom as a cover-up for sin or for evil. So in other words, have we been liberated? And what was the cost? What was the price that was paid for our liberty? The blood of Jesus was shed. We've not been redeemed with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus that was spilled upon Calvary's cross to provide for us the freedom that we enjoy and have. Why? So we could serve him. So who's our liberator? Jesus. So who's our giver of life? So God the Father gave us life. Jesus is our liberator. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to live our lives. Not to do what? Satisfy our sinful nature. But to do what? Serve the Lord and serve one another. 
that was God's intended purpose for all mankind. Well, did you know that in both testaments that was all violated? Did you know in both testaments their freedom led to abuse and anarchy? Look in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and verse 5. This is written for our example so we can understand this. But with many of them God was not well pleased. When they came out of Egypt God was not pleased with many of them for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them for examples and they are written for our admonition. You see how that pertains to us back then? So how can we just rehearse this? We go back and we find out that they came out of Egypt and they were no longer slaves but they were free people. They were free now to live their lives to serve God. As he said, serve me. But when they got out there in the wilderness and started realizing freedom's a wonderful thing. I can live the way I want to live and do what I want to do and think the way I want to think and speak how I want to speak. And as long as it satisfies me, it's okay to do. And you know, people will always think that. But God took Moses where? Up on Mount Sinai. And he gave them boundaries for their existence. And he said, no, 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 no. The first four will explain to you how to live your life before me. Number one, put me first. Number two, worship me alone. Number three, honor my name. And number four, keep my Sabbath holy. Go to church. You can say those four things. Not a lot, would you say? (laughs) For the one who created you. For the one who liberated you. Four small things. Then the next six deal with social relationships. Honor your parents. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness and lie. Don't covet. Those next six things are the boundaries. Live within the framework of those, of those boundaries and you've got it made. Of course they didn't. They rose up to play and did their own thing. And you know what they did? Made a molten calf and lived their lives in just utter chaos and debauchery. And as a result, of course, judgment falls. Now, come over to the New Testament again. And look in the first, the same chapter, chapter 6. Look at verse 9. This is from a different translation. It's well amplified. Do you not know? Well, before I even read this, let me just state why he's saying this. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And he's writing to the church at Corinth because it's a very licentious environment. In that environment, they had all kinds of corruption going on. All kinds of evil going on. All kinds of immorality going on. And they, they came out of all kind of, we don't think of this in these terms, but they had temple worship that was anything, anything, nothing like what we experience as far as worshiping God in church. Okay? It was crazy. It was way out there. Immorality and the whole bit. You'll see in just a moment. So when these people became Christians, you know, when you first become a baby Christian, you know you hang on to a lot of different things that you had before you accepted Christ as your Savior. Would you say amen to that? The rest of you, you had it made, you were perfect? Did, did he not begin to refine you after you got saved and change some things in your life and you saw yourself becoming more humble and acting the way God wants you to act when you missed the mark he said don't do that anymore and you change this that and the other thing so you can uh, what conform to the image of Christ right 
Okay. These people had the same kind of difficulty, but they came from a very different environment than what we experience, and we'll see in a moment. But let's read it. Do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit, the, inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived or misled. Neither, and he goes on to name, impure and immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor cheats, swindlers, thieves, nor greedy graspers, drunkards, foul-mouthed, revilers, and slanderers, nor extortioners or robbers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. And such some of you were once. But you are washed clean, purified by a complete atonement for sin, made free from the guilt of sin, and you were consecrated, set apart, hallowed, and you were justified, pronounced righteous by, the, by trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God. So what's he saying? You're free. It cost the blood of Jesus to set you free. So now live your life serving him, not your sinful nature. Anybody here ever, did you get, when you first got saved, did you get completely delivered from your sinful nature? Anybody here you can say that I got saved once I got saved, I never sinned again. Raise your hand. If you raise your hand, come up here and teach. I don't see any hands going up. Okay. So obviously, we're all being worked on by God, right? All right. So, he's telling them, there are boundaries once you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, live within the boundaries. Do your best to do so. By the grace of God, you know. And if you miss the mark, confess your sin. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. Isn't that understandable? Okay. Well, in, I just want you to know this. I wrote down some of these things so we can better see. When he said fornicator, he's talking about any kind of immoral, let's say, activity. Sexual vice. When he said altar, uh, idolater, he's referring to patrons of the temple Aphrodite. You realize what they lived under? They had 1,000 prostitutes publicly kept and they were ready at any time for immoral indulgence. Can you imagine we're going to the temple to worship and there's 1,000 prostitutes waiting to greet you there. You know, can you imagine that? It, to them it was normal. This is normal. This is what you do. Think about that. And then look at the next one. And the next one is effeminate. Please listen carefully. And please understand when I preach this and say this, I do not condescend in any way. I'm speaking with a heart that I'm telling you right now is motivated by compassion and deep concern for our nation and what we're experiencing in it right now. Effeminate refers to men who dress and behave as women and practice sodomy. Did you hear that? That's what he's referring to. Okay. Look at the next one. The next one is abusers of themselves with mankind. Refers to homosexuality. 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors practice homosexuality. Nero had two, think about it, partners. One he called his wife, another one he called his husband. Sporus and Pythagoras, those two. The one he had castrated and said, that's my wife. 
And the other one, he was the woman and he was the husband. He committed incest with his mother. He killed one of his wives who was very pregnant by kicking her in the stomach until she died. He was a mad man. Because you see, he was the Roman emperor, which means he is the dictator, which means he calls the shots. He makes the rules. He governs people's lives. He had one horrific, boiled to death in hot water. A horrific, painful death. And so when Paul's making these statements, he's talking to a people that grew up like this. He's talking to a people in an atmosphere where this is what they experienced and this is what they lived by. This is what they saw. It's not like we think in America today. Although we're starting to see some things. Are we not? When we talk about beheadings, he'd have your, your head off in a heartbeat in a second. Just because he didn't like you. He was a, a, a madman. Actually, uh, William Barclay, who was a very scholarly uh, theologian, said that was the demise or the downfall of the Roman Empire when he began to practice same-sex marriage, homosexuality, and the like. And of course, along with that, committing the murder that he did. But that was it. Well, that brings us to our country, to America. And in this country that we live in, as I said, we enjoy wonderful freedoms. Almost to the extent that we're oblivious to any other kind of, let's say, government that's out there. We left this country. We're out of this country. I'll tell you what, there's no country like America. There's nothing like having freedom. We're walking down the streets of um, Cagayan de Oro in, in Mindanao. <laughs> and we're two missionaries, you know, like tourists. We're walking around like we're tourists. Oh, Brother Chuck's taking some pictures and all that, and you know, we're kind of dressed the, in, in, in clothes that would identify you as a tourist. And we finally got the one elderly man who looked at us and said, you missionary. We said, yeah. Go back to your hotel now. Now. Okay. So we went back to our hotel. And then when the contact came to the room and said, uh, we asked them, why that man tell us to go back to the hotel? The communist rebels are in the mountains. They know you're here. They will either capture you, hold your ransom, and his own expressive way, or we said, oh, thanks for the tip. We appreciate that. This was after being abducted in Manila. Okay, we won't even go into that. <laughs> Needless to say, when we came back to America, after having pizza, we, no, we came back. <laughs> no, we first kissed the ground, and, and we thanked the Lord for the freedoms that we have in this country, and that we can live the kind of life that we live. Don't you love the, the life that you have in America? Absolutely. Well, look at Psalm 33 and verse 12. This is the first part. Blessed is the nation whose God 
is the Lord. Just stop it right there. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Notice it doesn't say blessed is America. Blessed is Turkey. Blessed is name any other country. What does it say? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So in other words, when a nation says, I'm going to make Jehovah God, the God of our nation, I want to do that. That nation is under what? The blessing of God. The blessing of God. Well, let me ask you a question. Who made America great? Was it man or was it God? In 240 years, we've gone before and far exceeded anything, anything any other nation has ever experienced in 2,000 years of their history. God made us the most powerful nation upon this earth. Amen. Why? Why? How? How did this happen? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well, we have a lot of people today that say, America was never a Christian nation. Well, I came pretty well equipped. So bear with me for just a moment. Is that okay? Can I do this? All right. We were never a godly, uh, never, you know, a godly nation or as far as, far as a, a Christian nation. Okay. So with that in mind, listen. These are the statements of former presidents. Okay. In answer to that. These are the words of John Adams. The general principles on which the fathers achieve independence, the general principles of Christianity. They were the general principles of Christianity. This is Teddy Roosevelt. The teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure to ourselves what that life would be if these teachings were removed. Woodrow Wilson said, America was born a Christian nation America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. Amen. American life is builded and can alone survive upon the fundamental philosophy announced by the Savior 1900 years ago, 19 centuries ago, Herbert Hoover. Harry Truman said, this is a Christian nation. And Richard Nixon said, let us remember that as a Christian nation, we have a charge and a destiny. Okay. Then you have, let's say, the testimony of Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson was instrumental in establishing weekly Sunday worship services at the U.S. Capitol, a practice that continued through the 19th century and was himself a regular and faithful attendant at those church services, not even allowing inclement weather to dissuade his weekly horseback travel to the Capitol church the capital church inclement weather such as maybe too much snow we need to get horses around here <laughs> instead of canceling a service but notice where they met at the capital also Jefferson said I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever and then also Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president, said, with regard to our founding fathers, they were intent upon establishing a Christian commonwealth in accordance with the principle of self-government. They were an inspired body of men. It has been said that God sifted the nations that he might send choice great into the wilderness. Who can fail to see it 
in the hand of destiny? Who can doubt that it has been guided by a divine providence? Would you say those presidents considered us to be a Christian nation? Would you? Based on what you just heard read? Listen to these words of uh, a senator not too long ago. One of our senators not too long ago. Which passages of scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with Leviticus, which suggests slavery is okay? Or could we go with Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount, a passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own defense department would survive its application? Folks haven't been reading their Bible. A slam against Christianity and a slam against the Bible and a slam against being governed by our creator and our liberator. Completely the opposite of what these former presidents said. This senator says in mocking, listen, the Sermon on the Mount, the most wonderful, wonderful sermon ever preached by anyone Jesus himself and criticizes what he said and you ask me I'll tell you who that senator was okay as we continue on some American listen to this some South American president said people came to my continent looking for gold but people came to America looking for God just one letter difference they recognize that. Look at the Mayfire Compact. It began with, for the glory of God and the advancement of the what? Christian faith. The advancement of the Christian faith. And so we can see, whether it's our former presidents, we can see with other historians that really study American history. And listen carefully. Our American history books in our schools today leave out a lot of our history. In particular, they leave out the fact that we've been born a Christian nation. And that's what you young people that are here with us today, that's what you're being taught. And it's very subtle. It is a plan of the enemy to destroy what America has achieved and what we continue to do in evangelizing the world. To bring this nation to its knees and destroy it from within. Okay, well then what about uh, separation of church and state? We hear so much, especially young people, you hear so much about separation of church and state. I am so glad you asked that. Thank you for asking that question. See? Okay, some Christians have been intimidated and they've heard the ACLU talk so much about the separation of church and state that they actually started to believe it. In case you don't know, that phrase never appears in the Constitution. However, it is found in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. It was coined in the United States from a letter, letter the principal framer of the Constitution, the third president, Thomas Jefferson, wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association, assuring them that he would keep the government out of the church, not the church out of the government. Amen. 
I know maybe to some of you this is new, but it's also true. Well, some still say, well, no, they wanted to keep both separate. Oh, really? Well, let's, let's, let's go a little bit further then. First of all, our first colonies, Jamestown, Virginia, the first community building was a church. The Puritans first acted at Plymouth Rock to kneel, praise, and dedicate the new colony. Roger Williams was a Baptist minister who established Rhode Island. Lord Baltimore held church services in establishing Maryland. William Penn, the Quaker, established Pennsylvania, New York, Delaware, Connecticut, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia. And when you read the writings of these, you see no doubt that God birthed America. William Penn, in writing government policies for Pennsylvania, made sure all treasurers, judges, and all elected officials profess faith in Jesus Christ. Twelve of the original 13 colonies incorporated the entire Ten Commandments into their civil and criminal codes. Our president, our first president, if this doesn't blow you away, I don't know what will. Our first president, George Washington, took the oath of office and put his hand on what? The Bible. What was his first official act as president? Anyone know? He kissed the Bible, then held a two-hour praise and worship session in Congress. Well, how did he determine to open the sessions of Congress? Prayer. Who would lead in those prayers? Chaplains. Who would pay the chaplains? Tax dollars would pay the chaplains. Huh. Does any of that sound like they wanted to keep God out of our government? Who decided to put in God we trust on our coins? It was adopted in Congress, 1956. In 1776, 11 of the 13 colonies required that one had to be a Christian to be eligible to run for a political office. In 1777, the Continental Congress voted to spend $300,000 to purchase Bibles for distribution in the Union. Can you imagine that today? 300,000 Bibles. President John Adams stated, the law given from Sinai was a civil and municipal code as well as a moral and religious code. The United States contained quotations from the Holy Scriptures. The state constitutions of all 50 states mention God. You'll love this one. The famous Liberty Bell. Anybody see the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia? Has part of Leviticus 25.10 inscribed on it. It says, proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Part of the scripture in Proverbs 14.34 is inscribed in the Los Angeles City Hall door. They may have removed it by now, I don't know. But it used to say, if, it did, if they did, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is the reproach to any people. Right. And how about this one? Again, I don't know about if it's still there, but it was there for many, 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 many years. An image of Moses carrying the tablets of God's law faces the speaker of the House of Representatives. But this wasn't a Christian nation. And the boundaries established for our existence, the laws that we have and live by, they didn't come from the Bible or Judeo-Christian principles. All that's thrown out of your history books. Why? They don't want you to know it. 
the entering president takes his oath of office and puts his right hand on the Bible and concludes it with, so help me God. I can go on and on about these things, but um, let's go somewhere else. What we once were as a nation. Now, once again, I'm saying this with a heavy heart this morning. This is not being critical of anyone's political party, anyone's race, or anyone's gender. This is a concern about the direction of our country and our dishonoring our creator and liberator and allowing the people to be deceived into thinking that this is how life should be. You govern yourself. Well, what happens when you write your own laws? If it feels good, do it. What were we as a nation? Let me read to you the constitutions from the first, some of the first 13 colonies. Delaware was the first to ratify the U.S. Constitution stating in 1776, every person, notice, every person appointed to any office shall subscribe. I profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, one God blessed forevermore. And I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. That was Delaware. But notice this, the reason why, because you see up until that point, the states really, what was in the original state's constitution concerning their religion and all that, they were independent, autonomous, you can say. So they can, you know, choose, pick and choose. So this is what each one chose. Pennsylvania, second to ratify the U.S. Constitution, stated in its 1776 state constitution, signed by Benjamin Franklin, each member before he takes his seat shall subscribe. I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe, the reward of the good and the punisher of the wicked. And I do acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. New Jersey, the third to ratify the U.S. Constitution, stated in its 1776 state constitution, all persons professing a belief in the faith of any Protestant sect who shall demean themselves peaceably under the government shall be capable of being elected. Rhode Island, the 13th, we'll skip down to the 13th, to ratify the U.S. Constitution, says, by the blessing of God, of full liberty and religious concernments, rightly grounded upon gospel principles, will give the best and greatest security in the true Christian faith and worship of God. They may defend themselves in their rights, in their just rights and liberties against all the enemies of the Christian faith. So, in light of all that, were we founded as a Christian nation? Did our founding fathers come here to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ? And did they declare that they wanted the God of all creation to be the God of the nation that would be established? And the answer is yes, they did. Yes, they did. And this nation indeed was and is a Christian nation. Founded upon biblical principles and Christianity. Our independence being based, of course, on those principles and our freedoms having boundaries established by the only one qualified to establish a boundary for any existence. So when I say this to you, 
We're not against people at all. We want everyone, first of all, to make heaven. Do we not? So when we say that we're against abortion, we're not against the people. We're against laws being made that say that that's not a human life. Who's a government to say that's not a human life? And when we say we're against same-sex marriage, you know why? Because God the creator is the one who made one man, one woman and said this is family. And we want those people to be liberated, delivered and set free and to come to this place of understanding of, of the will of God for mankind. It's not against people. No. It's about honoring the creator and the liberator. And everyone can be helped. Trust me, if you can be helped, anyone can be helped. If I can be helped, anyone can be helped. So you see, when it comes to this gender identity and everything that we're facing in our country today, and when it comes to a government that promotes all this by saying, it's okay, it's right, and they exalt their position above the laws of God, you know what's going to happen. The judgment of God has no choice but to fall upon a nation like that. A government like that. And the reason why we're standing in the gap and making up the hedge is because you and I know it. And it's our responsibility to lift up our nation before God and pray and to believe that God will once again touch the hearts and minds of all these politicians and leaders and influence them according to his word so they can once again implement within our nation godly principles by which we can conduct ourselves and live within the parameters of the boundaries that God has established for us. Can you say amen to that? And so you see, this coming election, please hear me out, is not about your party. It's not about your race. It's not about your gender. And I'll be honest with you, it's really not as much about who becomes the next president. It's about who they appoint as the next Supreme Court Justice. That is what it's about. Why? Because those laws that you see twisted and turned to, to what? To accommodate all people groups? How many know that's impossible? Is that impossible? Okay, if it's impossible, if you can't have your way and I can't have my way because each way is different, well then who has the right to say it's my way and not your way or your way and not my way? I only know one, God himself. God himself is the only one that has the right. So guess what? Throw away my way and throw away your way. And let's have it God's way. And the reason why I say it's a Supreme Court justice is because if you get another person on that Supreme Court that will go against the laws of God, we're in trouble. Big trouble down the road. And that's what it's all about. So, I have a list there for us. Look at it with me. Let us pray for God's blessings upon this nation of favor, freedom, protection, opportunity, and prosperity. Thank you, Father, that we live in this land of freedom. The land of the free and the home of the brave that are not afraid to stand up for righteousness, godliness, holiness, and truth. Number two, Pray these things out with me. Thank you, Father, for the humility to fall upon the church and our nation in your devotional time. Don't sit there and say, I want my way. No, 
Say, God, I want your way. Three, thank you for repentance and forgiveness and for extending mercy while staying judgment. Like in the days of Jonah. There needs to be a, an act of repentance throughout this entire land, including all of us here. For voting in those that have changed our laws in such a way. You know, it wasn't one of the, I forget what, what position that she was in. What was the position that she was in until her daughters were, went into a bathroom? What was her position that she held? The ACLU? Head of the head of the ACLU in Georgia, head of it, who was for the gender identity and all that. They can go in their own bathroom, whatever they want to, whatever they feel they are that day, they can go to them until her daughters went into the bathroom and these guys came in, this guy came in or guys came in, three of them came in. Three of them went into the bathroom with her daughters in there and they were transgenders. Not only did she bring her daughters out, but she changed her position. See, laws are laws, but they don't bother you till, the, till your, your kid's in there. You want your child in there? Let's, let's, there's a better way to deal with things like that. Let's help people. And if you have to make another bathroom, make another bathroom. Or what about making just bathrooms, just one person goes in at a time, period. Period. Go in, lock the door, get out. What's wrong with that? But this idea of doing that, Boy, they change their mind awful, awfully quick when it affects your child. Number four, thank God for moving upon the hearts of our leaders, giving them ears to hear it and wisdom and guidance and direction. Can we pray that their eyes would be open to understand that we are a Christian nation. We were born a Christian nation. It's time to go back to our Christian and American heritage and start realizing God made America great. Not a party, not a man, not a woman, not a race. God made America great, period. Number five, thank you for removing from office those that rebel, those that oppose his will and replace them with godly leaders once again. Thank God for a new hunger for truth in our land and may there be a return to godly values and deep respect for human life. We want to get rid of abortion laws. We're not against the people. We want to save the babies. Oh my goodness. And as you can read, as, as we put together this here, when Christians do vote, when Christians get out there and vote, don't be out there one that says, my vote doesn't matter. Well, listen to this. When Christians get involved and they, and they vote like they did in times past when they actually all came out and voted, the result was the congregational enactment of for the first four major standalone pro-life laws since Roe versus Wade. Infants born alive protection act, unborn victims of violence act, partial birth abor abortion ban, and a fetal farming ban. Furthermore, the addition of so many new pro-life Supreme Court justices and dozens of pro-life court of, of appeals and P federal district court judges, that's what took place when P God's people voted. Amen. Are you excited as I am about no, no, no longer partial birth abortion? <laughs> Look, just, just grab me a few more minutes. Is that okay? If you're, not, if, you're, if you're in favor of partial birth abortion, go ahead, put another Supreme Court justice on there that says it's okay. Okay, but did you ever see a partial birth abortion? Did you ever go up there, did you put it up on a monitor and see it? You know what it involves? A baby being cut apart in the womb piece by piece and being torn out while the body's alive and moving and breathing, cutting it in parts. And what about farming out the parts? Is that what you want? Is that what God wants? 
You see, as Christians, we've been sitting with our head in the sand, not realizing this is going on right underneath our noses, and we're doing nothing about it. Oh, because I have always voted this way because my parents did. And I always vote that way because of this and that and the other thing. It's time to wake up and realize that we've got to do something. If we want the hand of God on our nation once again, like it has been in the past, who made this country great, then we've got to get with it and start realizing, if you could do anything, get on your knees and pray. I realize that the votes of this congregation is not going to change the votes in this state of Pennsylvania or Ohio or West Virginia. I realize that. But you know what? By word of mouth, you can spread it and let other people know. And if other pastors are preaching it as well, they can let other people know. And it's time for us to band together and rise up and start saying, this is, this is wrong. We want Jesus as Lord over America. Seven. Thank you for the church to awake to righteousness and shine as a beacon light throughout the world as Jesus said we should. Eight, thank you for families, Father, being knit together in love, for marriages being restored and protecting the institution of marriage as you designed it. Thank you for our youth to be protected from the evils of this age. They will not be contaminated by the influences of our culture. Thank you for our youth to be protected from the evils of this age. Thank God. That's repeated. I don't have that. Thank you for pouring out your spirit upon this nation and creating a national revival that goes beyond anything we have ever witnessed as a society. And thank God for families that are knit together in love, that, that love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And they're saying, look, I'm willing to give up what my preference is for the preference of Almighty God. That's what, we're, what it's all about. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, you know what, beloved? It's up to us to do something with it. But you know what? Slowly, as a Christian, you're losing your rights and privileges. Actually, slowly, being a Christian in America is becoming less and less popular. And being a Christian in America means they're not concerned about what you think at all. What they want is freedom to do whatever they want to do. And they're going to criticize you by saying it's wrong when really you're saying God said it's wrong, not me. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. 
and now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.